0: Thank you for listening to a sports journey presented by Gran Leyenda tequila. I am your host Fidel Barraza and tonight I have a special guest. She's a sports journalist, content creator, and now producer at ESPN, Sunil Blue. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you?
1: I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to talk to you again.
0: I know it's been a while. How's everything?
1: Uh, everything's busy. <laughs> things like changing, adjusting, moving, all that, but I'm busy and blessed. That's how I've been saying it
0: for the past well, two weeks. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, tell us about your sports journey.
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny because I don't think we're where I am now. I don't think most people would know that I never envisioned myself in sports journalism, to be honest, when I was younger. Like if you asked me what I wanted to do growing up, it was probably like a lawyer or, it, well, it was a professional dancer. That was, that was one thing, but, um, sports has always been a part of my life. I tried to play sports. I looked better watching them than playing them. Um, volleyball was a sport that stuck for me, but I was super creative and super into arts and performing and theater and dancing, as I said. Um, and I remember I used to like tell my parents, oh yeah, I'm going to go to Juilliard or to Stanford. Those are my only two options. And my dad said, uh, you're, you're funny. What you're actually going to do is go to Northwestern and study sports journalism and then become a major ESPN sports reporter and then give me tickets to games. And I was like, ah, I don't really know how that's going to line <laughs> up um, somewhere in there. He also suggested that he was my manager and that I would get him a Ferrari. And I didn't know much about, you know, what's journalists, what their starting salary was, but no. I knew it wasn't Ferrari level. So no. we had to walk him back from that. <laughs> um, but later on, uh, like I said, kind of sports has always been a part of my life. It's been a, a huge thing. Um, when I was younger, it was a little bit harder for me to actively be a part of sports wor- the sports world and culture just because I was super into school and making sure that I can, you know, go to school for free, all that jazz, um, getting older. But college, if I'm to be transparent, college was when my sports passion for storytelling, because I've always loved stories. And I've always considered life as a book, and where like everybody's journey is different chapters or different pages of that book, and you can meet them at that sentence, sort of speak. Um, but when I started tutoring athletes in college, that's when sports was on a different level. Plus, I went to the University of Missouri, which is a SEC school. Um, it's a Division One school. It's a it's sports is a big deal out there. And when I first got to college, um, kind of to backtrack a little bit. I remember most of my first friends were athletes like I used to go hang out there was a specific residence hall that athletes used to stay in used to go over there hang out with my guys hang out with the uh, girls over there and we would just like have a good time and I got to know them as people, then when I would go to different events or when I was talking to people who weren't athletes. And I told like said that I knew them or they would see that I knew them. It was like, Oh, you know, such and such, or, Oh, you know, such and such. And to me, I never registered as that because they were just my friends. But, um, I will, I will never forget my freshman year. I, my friend Jamari Ward, he is a like tremendous, tremendous jumper on a um, track and field team, multiple sec championships. Like he's, he's cold. He wouldn't even describe himself as that, but I'm going to brag <laughs> on him real quick. Um, And I was talking to someone, I was starting to get into like, kind of a a extracurricular type of journalism thing called MUTV. And one of the guys who had been working there, he was like, oh, yeah, we're doing a, we're doing something on, on Ward, Jamari Ward, or he, I think he mispronounced his name. And I was like, oh, Jamari, that's like my guy. That's my guy. And he's like, you know, Jamari Ward, what? and to me that was one of like that was something that that clicked for me as well and seeing the sports culture that i was in and the disconnect between the average or not even average but like the fan or the sports watcher or somebody who's in sports kind of because they love it versus the athlete and what they have to go through what they have to overcome what their stories and backgrounds look like and what the day-to-day sacrifice is to be a collegiate athlete especially if you have aspirations of going pro. So, um, and I'm kind of kind of going deeper dive here into my, that, that aspect. This is your but, time, go ahead. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. Uh, when I started understanding that and then jumping forward, like I said, tutoring athletes. I started tutoring athletes, I think my junior year of college, um, but I was already working as a news reporter. And I knew for a fact, I did not want to stay in news. (laughs) That was just, that was just not where I wanted to be. Um, And I knew I didn't want to go into entertainment because I never had a true interest in like entertainment news or anything like that. But sports was again, still always part of my life. So tutoring athletes is where I actually got those one-on-one stories. I actually got to hear how, for example, like some of them, when they would get stipends, like stipends to help pay their rent, which I mean, you're on full scholarship makes sense. Um, when I, when I would hear they would get stipends like that and sending some of their stipends back home to their families, because ideally they were the ones having the most quote unquote income or like having the most like money because they're on scholarship, like things like that. Things where I I had a friend who he's, he's from Missouri. He's from that area, but all of his family was kind of depending, and he has a big family was depending on him to be successful ideally so they could take care of him or he could take care of them I'm sorry he could take care of them and I was like that's a lot to carry on top of waking up at five o'clock in the morning on top of then going to workouts going to practice then going to class then going into tutoring and I know you don't want to be in tutoring and then going to class and then going to treatment and then going to practice and then going back and trying to maintain a social life that was non-existent for most of them, unless you knew which was called the Matsy, the Mizzou Athletic Training Complex, unless you knew your people who were in the Matsy or your teammates. Understanding a lot of different, those nuances and seeing the sacrifice that they put in. That's where I found that passion. That's where I found that drive for sports and my sports journey. And then it kind of just took off from there with the stories I told and and um, now ended up at ESPN. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah I want to yeah. go back to your tutoring did you at any time did you feel any pressure like all right like I have to you know get this athlete ready you know prepare for a test I have to help mm-hmm. him pass a class because you know so much was riding on them passing that class you know yeah your success story I guess you can say
1: I don't think I felt any pressure per se because I I used to be um a kindergarten a pre-k teacher so I was I just wanted to see somebody do well like at the end of the day, my thing was, how do we help you or how do I help you become successful? I know I already know what your what's at stake with your sports and your eligibility. We've already covered that part. But I want to make sure that you actually feel like you're learning something and you actually feel like when you are in that class, you're not only able to be successful just for the sake of your eligibility, but for yourself. Like I, my, my thing was to focus on the student and the person aside from just seeing them as the athlete and what their their physical demands or their athletic demands are so from the in terms of from the actual university did I feel pressure no I I wouldn't say like they put that on me I could see how that would be a thing and that's not just at Mizzou that's really anywhere um but did I internalize it as that no so um there were there was a little bit of the I think the biggest pressure came in to managing, because we're all still in the same age group, same peer group, was managing relationships outside of tutoring. Like I could not tutor anybody who I deemed as my friend prior to me working as a tutor. We couldn't have any relationships, any like platonic relationships is is not even a good word. It had to be strictly professional, but that was hard because I became cool with all these people. (laughs) So yeah, I think that's where the biggest pressure came in. Um, But I just wanted to see them do well and be well.
0: Let's talk about your work ethic. Obviously, I know firsthand that you have tremendous work ethic. I mean, who would you say um, has taught you that, you know, kept you kind of disciplined in that role to be so... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Just you want to put out great work and you want to maintain what you're doing.
1: Um, I would definitely say, I would say it starts off with my mom. Uh, My mom is the hardest my dad is also one of the hardest workers I know but I grew up under my mom or like kind of just familial history I grew up under my mom a lot more um seeing my mom and she never she does not have this defeated mentality at all like no matter what the circumstance was for just she and I because it was just she and I for a while She always made sure I was taken care of. She always made sure everything else around her was taken care of, even if it didn't look like it, even if it looked like she hadn't slept in two weeks, even if it looked like, you know, she didn't really know what the next best thing was, or she didn't know, she didn't necessarily like want to reach out for the, you know, pity help. Like, but she, she got stuff done and she's still like that to this day. We emulate each other so much in our work ethic. And then when my dad, um, who my dad now, who I was, he's, we were family by marriage, but blood wouldn't make us any closer. That is my best friend. Seeing him and his encouragement, seeing the way that he took care of his family and seeing the way that he just wanted to be better and promote better people. That's what fueled my work ethic. So my work ethic is inspired by seeing people like just grind, grind entirely my parents always I'm also very competitive so my parents used to challenge me be like I would I would be the one who has almost straight A's but that one B so my dad was like you know what I think you could do it and I would think I could do it too but I would kind of be afraid of the success of doing it and then maintaining it and then one day he was just like maybe you can't maybe you can't do it I think you're destined for greatness but you know what maybe that's that's too high and he knew that that would spark something in me and I'm competitive so Literally that next, those next few weeks, I had straight A's, (laughs) but (laughs) that sort of mentality, that sort of grit of like, okay, Sania, somebody's going to think that you can't do this. You're going to do this. You're going to accomplish that. Seeing that work ethic that my mom has, my dad has, and the encouragement that my family support, that's what really fueled my work ethic and my faith as also too. Lord did not give me the spirit of fear, um, but of love power and a sound mind and all things like that he gives me that
0: is how i'm able to accomplish
1: anything in my life
0: that's really great uh let, let's talk about your clothing line because you're not just doing sports yeah. let's, let's talk about a little bit about lambs of god
1: yes thank you so much for bringing that up uh lambs of god that's like as you know fidel like that was that was my baby that's my baby, that's um, your baby. yeah that's my, <laughs> baby my mom so my family is a family-owned black-owned business um it is faith-based. So we all of our original designs are faith-based. They're for people who don't only feel their faith, but we want you to be able to feel proud in wearing it too. Um, we are both firm believers of Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior. And so the best way for us that we thought to utilize the talents that we had, that God was given to us, that God gave us, is to then reinvest them back into him as well as our community. So Lamb's of God was designed and created with that idea of of giving people another opportunity to kind of flex their faith a little bit but also as we're doing that and as we're continuing to grow as a business because we are still a small considered a small business as we're growing through that we want to create community outreach as well create community events so that we could eventually have a building so for internships so that young people can come in learn about entrepreneurship learn about journalism because i i have that skill learn about uh law enforcement because we have that in our family just learn about a a variety of different avenues and even if we don't know we're going to get you in contact with someone who can that is my parents do mentorship so that's really what the basis of lambs of god is um lambs of god designs is and we do custom designs you know we're gonna drop some new stuff for the summertime um so that is and plus i'm gonna shameless plug you can follow us at lambs of god designs on anywhere um and then instagram facebook as well as lambs of god.faith that is our website um but yeah that's what that's kind of what my baby is that's what, that's what how it started and it's just been so awesome working with my
0: family and being able to to
1: work on the projects and releases that we've had
0: well that's tremendous and uh you know big fan of the clothing line as well sponsor this football podcast shameless plug i guess yes, you can tell yes. that. Yes, go follow East West, go follow East West. Yep, go follow them. Um, let's talk about your new role at ESPN. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I know we told you congrats before, but again, congratulations on your new role on ESPN.
1: Thank you so very much. It's crazy. Tell, <laughs> it's ex- tell us
0: about, tell us like how that like happened, like from day one to I guess now when you're about yeah. to move to Connecticut.
1: Sure, day one actually started in 2020 yeah that's where day one started day one was no really it was 2019 day one was 2019 and it's 2021 now i was a junior in college and um we have like the university of missouri john anderson um oops, big name espn um, he's a mizzou grad we there's a production internship that espn has during the summer and um Every year, Mizzou, like my Mizzou um, advisor, there we go, my advisor, she would always send it out, like say, hey, if you're eligible, here's that internship, go ahead and apply for it. Um, John Anderson is like the main person who would help us with the next steps, right? Um, And I applied for my junior year. I walked into that interview knowing that I was not equipped for that internship. (laughs) Like I knew that I was probably not going to get it just because of my lack of experience in production. Um, I had a lot of on-air experience, but uh, so then fast forward when I I didn't get it, spoiler alert, Um, and then senior year, I reapplied, but I had been producing my own sports shows, I had been anchoring my own, my own sports shows. i had been working with a hall of fame journalist and Chris Trevino um, covering all the SEC major sports and Matt conference wrestling, covered news. I was way more equipped. So I did that interview uh, for the internship and I felt really good about it. And then I think it, t- it took about two weeks before I even heard like whether or not i got, I was okay. And we had to do a written application. And so I did that part, then it was the interview, then finding out. And uh, I got, it was, I think it was that day I was working. I had an internship already with my school. I was working three jobs at the time when I was trying to get this other ESPN internship. And I was on my way to my Mizzou internship uh, and I was working, I said, man, I haven't heard from ESPN yet I don't know if that's good news or bad news like I don't know what's going on literally that day and later on I got an email uh, from John Anderson saying hey so kind of keep this on the DL as we continue to tell the rest of other applicants but it looks like we'll be working together this summer and when I tell you, I just like freaked out. <laughs> I, I broke down. I was I was so excited. I called my family. They could barely hear through my tears of joy, like it was it was crazy. So, um, that happened in like February 2020. Fast forward to May. May by May, I was already at home because the pandemic happened, and I had not heard word that my internship was going to be canceled or postponed or anything like that. So I, it was. For my knowledge, I was still expecting to go, but with that expectation, I had not been applying for jobs because for me, I had had a plan for, since February. So I, um, then got maybe like two weeks before my graduation, I got an email saying, Hey, Sonia, when are you available to talk? And I was like, Oh no, and um, the recruiter, she told me that the internship had to be canceled for the summer, but naturally they would keep, kind of keep me in the loop if anything changes. And I knew that was coming and naturally to keep everybody safe, understand the world just shut down. Um, but during that time of that in-between time of, okay, do I still apply for ESPN? Like, do I wait? What do I do? Do I apply for other sports jobs that I know I don't want? Um, that's when. I met the wonderful East West football team. That's when Kendall Whitley reached out to me on LinkedIn. And I talked to you, Fidel and Jerry, and I, you guys helped me with the, my platform and being able to talk. And, and I think doing that work with you all kept me on ESPN's radar as well. Just for them to see like, okay, yeah, she didn't get the internship, but she's still doing things. Um, plus I had an amazing time and built an amazing new family, like with ES, or with East West. So uh, that was great. And then. Come November of 2020, a recruiter then reached out to me, said, hey, if you're still, if you don't have a job yet, like if you don't have a full-time job, we would love for you to apply for the ESPN audio podcast internship. I did that, went through the interview process, all the formal steps and all that jazz. This was the first time they were doing interns for the, ESPN had had a hiring freeze for about a year. So this is the first time that they were even opening up to interns. I did that, Uh, I got the job naturally. I got the internship, worked with ESPN Daily from January to April. One of the best experiences I've ever had. The producers were amazing learning about ESPN. I literally got to connect with everybody from anybody, whoever I wanted to talk to. Maria Taylor became my mentor. I was freaking out about that. Um, And then about a month before the end of my internship, so this is March, 2021, uh, one of my recruiters, was I, I had been talking to my recruiters and i told them like look guys i'm about to, i don't have a graduation anymore i've already graduated i need a full-time job so what do i need to do to make sure i have a full-time job and a few weeks later that's when he in in the march that's when uh his name is rob He's when he called me and i was in walmart <laughs> i was in walmart in the hair like the hair aisle and that's already a a, a task in itself but when uh he said yeah So Sania, I just wanted to give you the great news that we would like to offer you a full-time position in our ESPN Next program as a production intern. I said, oh, or or as a production assistant, I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. I'm not going to lie. I just did a little dance in the Walmart aisle as I'm trying to figure out my hair products. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. So then (laughs) naturally he read through all the logistics and all that and I waited until I got home to tell my parents. I waited until they were both together because my mom literally was just like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do with Roxy, my dog. I don't know what we're going to do about this. We're going to do about that. You're going to be here. And I said, (laughs) like, I didn't want to tell her that I wasn't going to be here. Um, But yeah, that's and I told my parents and we talked it out and I accepted the position a few days later. And now I'm getting ready. Literally, it's less than two weeks away from me moving in to my new apartment, and started my new job.
0: Exciting, again, congratulations, that's tremendous. And of course you did tremendous work with us. Uh, let's talk about some yes. of your mentors that you've had in your life, professionally yeah. and personally.
1: Um, I think the first ever mentor uh, professionally that I've had, her name is Regina Waldrop, she works for NBC5 Chicago. Uh, I met her when I was in high school, so this was like baby Senea like just experiment, experimenting and, and, and experiencing the world of journalism. And she told me some personal tips and some professional tips, uh, personal being, this is a grind. So your personal might have to, you know, your social life and everything like that. If this is something that you want to do. You have to go through a full force. And I understood that. I knew that. And I said, okay, let's do it. Um, professional. She definitely helped me navigate through who to talk to what are some, what I need to be doing on my resume, what I need to be doing in terms of my like work and experience and things like that. Kind of jumping forward to a little bit later, uh, Fallon Smith, who uh, is a former Fox sports reporter, you know, Fallon. Fallon, shout out to Fallon Smith. Shout out to Fallon Smith. Um, I got to actually work with her briefly, but that mentorship that she gave me was a lot. Uh, Just the, the conversations that we would have was a lot. Um, I also, in terms of personal mentors, not only being my parents, I'm very blessed to say that I have great, fantastic parents who have really like walked with me throughout at least like high school and up, middle school and up, like really walked me through that path to success. Um, I would also say Deborah Brock, who is in the case office, uh, for the university of Missouri. She was like my Mizzou mom, but any, t- she knew my work ethic and she knew how strenuous it could be. But she also knew me personally to know, like, Sania, you need to take a break. Or, Sania, you need to acknowledge your accomplishments. Because I wouldn't, that's, I'm definitely not the type of person that would do that often. Um, Sania, you need to take a moment to figure out what you want to do for you. Uh, So now, jumping fast forward, my, Professional mentor now that I like get giddy about. I literally fangirl about her all the time, even though we're cool. Is Maria Taylor seeing her work ethic seeing how an out of an amazing not only person but journalist she is. Um, those are those have been my mentors, and Taylor Rooks has also been my mentor. She just doesn't know it yet.
0: <laughs> well, now she does.
1: <laughs> yeah, now she does.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about the importance of women playing sports. And covering sports as well
1: i think it's awesome uh to see women in sports women covering sports because sports itself if you actually look at the physicality of sports itself it's or the rules or anything like that it's not it's been skewed towards men right but the actual logistics of it anybody can do it like it's it's not to you could pick up a bat, anybody can pick up a basketball, anybody can throw a football, um, understanding the gender dynamics of that. And, and since then, since the creations of these sports, however, a, one's gender shouldn't be able to limit them to doing their job well. Um, and I think seeing women in sports is the prime example of seeing a different perspective of seeing different opportunities, seeing really like go just going back to that different perspective. Because I think women, considering that we experience the world in a completely different way than men, um, we offer a different visual, a different like angle when you're covering a story. For example, I've been in rooms and I've been in conversations and pitch meetings where I offered something and then too, as a black woman, I've offered something where uh, talking about a family, a football player's family, like in what their dynamic looks like. Whereas my male counterparts didn't necessarily tap into that. Um, or even my, my white male counterparts didn't necessarily tap into like the importance and value of family that, the black, that black communities have. But if I weren't in that room, I don't know if that conversation would have happened. I don't know if that story idea would have came across the table, right? So that's one thing. Um, and shout out to SK Patrick, who's also with the East West fam, uh, because we did an interview and, and he, one question he asked me was about the roadblocks, overcoming the roadblocks of being a woman in sports. My thought process is I will go through any challenge that it takes to overcome the roadblocks so that other women coming, ne- coming next into the industry have that opportunity. It, it shouldn't, I don't think that it should be about like, I I'm, can't do my job just as well because I'm a woman. Like, there's, we went to the same school. If we went to the same school, we got the same degree, we got the same work ethic. There's nothing, nothing stopping us there. So it's also important in terms of representation. I know we throw that word around a lot, but really, like, I would have never envisioned myself in this role without pioneers before me, like Rachel Nichols, like Maria Taylor, like um, Pam Anderson, like just a variety of people who, I wouldn't have known that that was an option for me. And so now it's important for me as I'm in these spaces and in these roles as a woman in sports to not only support women in sports in every avenue, whether it be coaching, referees, journalists, players, um, but also to tell stories that reflect those young women as well.
0: Sunia, what advice would you give women that are thinking about pursuing a career in sports journalism?
1: Um, one thing I want them to know is use your difference to your advantage. Like, because like I said, going back to the perspective and understanding the world as a woman and in a different way than men, if there's something that you see that's not being covered in sports and because you see it probably because you're a woman still bring that to the table because at the end of the day. Like ESPN, is e's what like the, the variety of sports networks and outlets are trying to build their audiences and trying to expand their audiences as much as possible. So if you have something different different to offer, let your voice be heard. Don't let anybody intimidate you into feeling like what you have to do is um, what you have to do is not valued, right? But also know your sport. I remember like, I used to get challenged all the time. Anytime I told somebody I was in sports or I was a sports reporter, somebody would be, Oh, okay. So, you know, sports, like that's the next initial question. If there was a male, they wouldn't ask that, you know, you wouldn't even be questioned, but I was like, yeah. And so then we would start talking about a a specific sport. I would say like football, you know, you know, I love football, you know, basketball. Um, And then I would have to like, I felt the urge or the, Nece- I felt like it was necessary to throw out stats like random numbers so that they knew that I knew what I was talking about but I didn't have to prove myself to them <laughs> like I really did it but at the end of the day I know that it's going to help with my work I know that's going to help there so um I would I would say know your sport know that your perspective matters and offer it to the table be yourself stay true to yourself And don't don't let anybody try to change you into whoever or even and also women in sports, they're usually typically um, women in the media industry anyway, are typically like sideline reporters or a, a kind of a side role. If you don't want to be there, don't be there. Be vocal. Say what you want. Go after what you want. People are going to try to undermine you, but it's okay because you're going to make way anyway. And then lean on the other women that are in the industry, build those relationships, cultivate those relationships, cultivate those relationships with players so that they know and they have a trust with you. I've seen the amount of trust that players have with women in the sport growing now is, is immense because we actually listen, like we really take a chance to have the relate, build that relationship with someone. Um, and lastly, and just to be candid, because, you know, I, 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 I'm, I like to be transparent, like just to be candid people are going to think that you are in sports because of men, like because of the chase of men. Don't like, I, for me, that wasn't the case. That wasn't, wasn't the case. Um, And I had to combat that I had attitudes and things like that or Oh, you know, yeah, you're talking to this football player because you think he's it. A- no, I don't want him. Like I don't want that. But, I always stayed professional. I always made sure that my 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 T's were crossed, my I's were dotted. There was a certain level of professionalism that we maintained. Um, and players will try it too. Like every, anybody will try it. Uh, just make sure that you're really covering your bases so that we have to walk, we have to take some few extra steps, some few extra careful steps, um, unfortunately. And until we don't just be mindful of, your interactions because they're, they can, I'm not going to say they're always going to be skewed, but they can be. Um, that's an unfortunate piece of advice that I, I'm giving, but it is a very transparent piece of advice. Going, when it, when you're also talking about women in sports and, and um, it's not just like overall women in sports, but I think conversations that are being brought up now, are the intersectionality that is posed not only just as women, but in sports in general. So, what it means to be an African American or a Black woman or an Afro Latina or a um, Asian woman or a Puerto Rican Hispanic, like or someone who of color occupy occupying these roles in sports, it it means something different. It matters in a different way. Not to exclude, you know, not to exclude. You know, white women in in that conversation, it matters in the way of like these were originally places that we literally could not be, we literally cannot occupy. So I think as a sports and women in sports are being continued or like continually diversified, it is really awesome to see that. It's really awesome to see that I can, I have someone who looks like me. I know what it feels like. It's like being the only person, the only black kid in the class. Like, <laughs> so being able to have someone who relates like that and for that to be more um, present and more prevalent is amazing as well. Um, Bridges bringing up those conversations of of intersectionality and diversity and things like that. It is so critical for me and everything that I do that I remember that maybe some little girl who looks like me is watching and she now feels like she can do it. Some little girl who, who looks like, I don't know who looks like one of my, best friends who is of nigerian descent she looks at her and she says i can do this this is a place that i can be um and even if you feel like there isn't that, that person for you you could be that person for somebody else so diversity as much as gender inclusivity is so important in the sports world and it really only helps us be better
0: and you know i gotta ask you about chicago sports more specifically, with the Chicago Bulls and also the Chicago Bears.
1: You saw that I just got really excited and then I just put my arms down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Chicago Bears, man. Look, you already because you, you, anybody who knows like East West, who knows Fidel and I, you can go back and watch those Sunday kickoff shows where I talked about my Bears and um, Isaac Durham, we, 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 we stressed about him. Um, at the end of the day, they're going to have to use Andy Dalton. They, they, they're just going to have to. That's what they put themselves in the position to do right now. But they need to win. They need to win soon. They need to win not only for Nagy and Pace, for, for the GM and the head coach, but they also need to win so that the franchise looks attractive to young incoming talent or to potential like really good established traits. So right now they they picked up, they have a few pickups that they, that they did both on an offensive and defensive side of the ball. Um, making sure that they also keep Khalil Mack happy, making sure that they keep um, Robinson happy because those are two valuable players, again, both on different sides of the ball that are going to help shape this franchise. They already franchise tagged um, Allen Robinson which we know during the off season. Um, but they're going to need to make some serious adjustments so that this team is successful. You need, you need immediate success in some sort of fashion. You can't do another eight and eight season. You, you, we have to make it to the playoffs and actually show. Like, we, there shouldn't be a question of whether or not we're going to be able to make it to the playoffs this season. Um, that's the kind of caliber we need, at least, at least for Pace and Matt, and Matt Nagy to keep their jobs. But in terms of Bulls, hmm. Zach Levine? Zach Levine is that guy. <laughs> Zach is, and you know what? And it, it pains me. The thing is, I'm, a, I'm a, you know I'm a Chicago fan, but at the end of the day, I'm a realistic Chicago yeah. fan. And I am, again, transparent Chicago fan. At one point in time, I thought that Zach Levine's growth was stunted staying in Chicago. Yeah. But I think that what Billy Donovan has been doing seeing the relationship that Zach Levine has been building with Kobe White, the relationship, like getting, bringing in also some vets. I think that that could be potentially helpful, but they can't keep doing what they've been doing, which is Zach dropping 30 to 50 points a night and losing. So I think part of that is maybe bringing in somebody else to help. I know we brought in a few vets, but look at it. Like if you look at the Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker and Chris Paul, that is, addition of Chris Paul not only helped overall the Suns but it helped elevate Devin Booker who is already a phenomenal player Kobe Bryant even deemed him as a phenomenal player um, prior to passing Um, DeAndre Aiden is also a better player Um, we saw him grow exponentially so bringing in another strong offensive help I think would be would be a good thing Um, because eventually Zach is going to be just like I like I've been saying about Allen Robinson or you can't keep a great player, and they're not, you know, they're putting in all this work, and they, they are the leader of the team, the franchise player, but struggle because they don't have the, the tools around them. I think the Bulls are going to get there, though. They just need – I think they need one more really good, solid vet and shooter to help um, help solidify, and then they have enough people to be better on defense. They just need to actually be better on defense.
0: Sania, I also want to get your thoughts on the lack of minority coaches in the NFL.
1: In terms of the lack of black and African-American coaches in head coaches anyway, in the NFL, there, there's not an excuse anymore. Like you don't have an excuse. You guys had coach Hugh Jackson on the East West podcast Shout out Hugh Jackson.
0: He's family. Shout out
1: coach, love coach. Uh, Everybody, make sure you go listen to that because he actually hinted on some of that as well throughout that podcast episode. But you don't have an excuse. Literally, the majority of this league is African-American players, Black players. And I say both interchangeably because you can be Black but not considered African descent. Um, Just throwing my sociology knowledge out there. But um, at the end of the day, There's when you have coaches, like if you if you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the diversity of their coaching staff, as much as frustrated as I was to see Tom Brady win another ring. Fidel, I know you already know how I feel about this and I know how you feel about this (laughs) (laughs) on the other side of the table. But um, their coaching staff was one of the most diverse coaching staffs I've seen in the past 20 years. And part of that, I think is not, it's not just because you're hiring someone because they're black. No, but there is a level of representation. There's a level of communication and relatability that happens when you have coaches who are relating to your players and also just know how to do a great job at what they do. Like if, if you can be an effective coach and then relate to your players in a way that your players probably have never been able to relate to a coach before. That makes a difference. That's, I think that's a problem that we have in Chicago. You don't have the coaches there. I've talked to, I've talked to a variety of other people who are both in and outside of the league about that. You don't have the the coaches to help facilitate that, those sort of relationships. And not to say that, again, we know a variety of head coaches who are great, who are hall of fame coaches, like, None. Their work ethic is, is, is nonetheless, right? But I think it's less, we need to focus less on these itty-bitty like clubhouse relationships that happen in the NFL coaching world and more on how do we make players better? How do we build relationships so that teams get better? When you have a strong relationship with your coach, with your team, you win, because you want to win you want to put in that hard work you want to come in at three o'clock in the morning instead of five o'clock in the morning so um and when I say there's no excuse there's plenty of talent this it doesn't make sense that Robert Sala and it doesn't make sense that Houston did what they did with their head coach situation they also not only and it it sucks because you're not only are bringing in a, a black man as a head coach but you're also bringing him into a falling apart franchise that he is now responsible to fix similar. And I know coach Hugh Jackson can relate to that of in, in the aspect of like the pressure of having to try to fix something or having to try to be successful in something. And then you also have the color, the, the race aspect on top of that, because if you don't fix it, then it's like, Oh, we tried this black coach thing. Now it doesn't work. So you don't have, the NFL doesn't have any more excuses and Roger Goodell can say all the pretty things that he wants. Um, I don't know if I should say this as harshly as I'm about to, but like, <laughs> I think Roger Goodell can say all the pretty things that he wants, but at the end of the day, um, what's being said, and it's not just on him; it's really the ownership. It really is, does not just fall on him. But that being said, this club boy, this 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 uh, boys' club mentality uh, that is excluding African American head coaches is no longer acceptable.
0: One hundred percent agree with you. Sunia, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Any final thoughts before I let you go?
1: Um, Everybody, make sure you go subscribe to East West Podcast, East West Football Podcast. Uh, Make sure you're following East West Football Network on Facebook, on Instagram, also East West Basketball Network, because they're amazing too. Um, uh, Thank you so much for your time. I really am. I appreciate like just you being able to, tell help me tell my journey and hopefully uh my journey inspires or helps or encourages anyone who uh, who hears it
0: and your journey is just getting started and i believe that and you're yeah. I, I i am truly a believer that you're destined for great things so again thank you for coming on for our audience that would like to follow, follow you on social media where can they find you
1: literally i i don't say this because i don't think i'm like top tier like i don't think i'm big dog yet but there yeah, you, you are boom. what are you talking about <laughs> Oh. if you well, if you google my name i think it's just because it's so different sunia blue um all my stuff pops up but at sunia blue underscore is usually all my social media as well no e b s a n i a b l u
0: all right thank you so much i appreciate it thank you take care talk soon